Chapter Ten of Captain Antifer by Jules Verne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recorded by Joe Denoya, Somerset, New Jersey. Chapter Ten. On the twenty-first of February, the steamer Steersman left Saint Malo at the morning tide. She was a collier of nine hundred tons, running direct between Newcastle and Port Said. But on this occasion, a slight accident to her engine had made it necessary for her to put into port. Instead of going to Cherbourg, her captain had brought her on to St. Malo in the hope that he might see an old friend. Two days afterwards, the steamer was at sea again, and it put Cape Frail thirty miles behind when we called the reader's attention to her. And why should we call attention to this collier more than to another, considering that hundreds of colliers pass down the channel, and that the United Kingdom sends its coal to every part of the world? Why? Because Captain Antifer was on board, and with him his nephew Jewel, and with them their friend Tregomain. And why were they on an English steamer instead of in a railway carriage? When a man is interested in four millions, surely he would take his ease and think nothing of the expense. And this Antifer would have done had not an opportunity offered of traveling under pleasant conditions. Captain Chip, who commanded the steersman, was an old acquaintance of Antifer's. When the Englishman put in at St. Malo, he did not fail to look up his old friend, and was warmly welcomed. When he learned that Antifer was about to start for Port Said, he offered him passage on the steersman on reasonable terms. She was a good ship, capable of nine knots an hour in a calm sea, and taking a fortnight or thereabouts on the voyages to the far end of the Mediterranean. The steersman, it is true, was not designed for passengers, but sailors who are very difficult to please. There was at least a comfortable cabin for them, and they would not have to change vessels in the voyage, which was not without its advantages and it is easy to understand why Antifer had preferred it. To be shut up in a railway carriage for so long a journey was not to his taste. Far better, in his opinion, to spend two weeks in a good ship amid the fresh sea breezes than six days in a rolling box breathing smoke and dust. This was also the opinion of Jewel, if not that of the bargeman, whose field of navigation had been bordered by the banks of the Rance. He had hoped to accomplish most of the journey by railway, but his friend had decided otherwise. They were in no hurry for a day or so. If they arrived in a month or two, the island would still be where it had been, and where it was, no one knew but Antifer, Jewel, and Tregomain. The treasure which had been buried for thirty-one years under the seal of the double K was in no danger for a few weeks more. Consequently, Antifer, eager as he might be, had accepted Captain Chip's proposal, and that is why the reader's attention had been called to the steersman. Captain Antifer, his nephew, his friend Tregomain, provided with a good sum in gold which the bargeman wore on his belt, and taking with them an excellent chronometer, a sextant, a nautical almanac, besides a spade and pickaxe, took their passage on the collier. The bargeman had to overcome his repugnance at venturing on a sea voyage, to brave the anger of Neptune, although he had hitherto only replied to the enchanting smiles of the river nymphs, and when Antifer ordered him to pack his portmanteau and deposit himself on board the steersman, he obeyed without a murmur. Touching farewells were exchanged. Enogate was tenderly pressed to Jewel's heart. Nanon shared her embraces between her brother and her nephew, and Tregomain took particular care not to squeeze too tight those who had the courage to come to his arms. Promises were made that they would not be long away, and that in six weeks they would be back again at St. Malo. And then, millionaire or not, Antifer would be persuaded to approve of the marriage, so unluckily interrupted and then the steamer went to the westward, and the girl followed it with her eyes until its masts disappeared below the horizon. 
but had the steersman forgotten the two personages, who are not of minor importance, whose duty it was to follow the legatee of Kamalik Pasha? Ben Omar and Sauk were not on board. Had they missed the boat? By no means. The fact is that it had been found impossible to persuade the Egyptian notary to embark on the steamer. On the voyage between Alexandria and Marseilles, he had been as ill as even a notary could be. And now that he was doomed to go to the Suez, and he knew not where, he had resolved to journey on land so long as he could avoid the sea. Saouk had not the least objection to this. Antifer was anything but eager to secure them as traveling companions, and had made an appointment to meet them at the end of the month at Suez, without saying that thence they would have to go on to Mascot, when the notary would have to brave the horrors of the perfidious element. Antifer had even added, As your clients had ordered you to be present at the digging up of the legacy, you shall be there. But if circumstances oblige us to travel together, let us keep to ourselves, for I have no desire to be on intimate terms with either you or your clerk. In consequence of this, Ben Omar and Souk had left St. Malo before the departure of the steersman, and no one regretted them. The notary was not likely to miss the appointment. On the one hand, he was urged by the fear of losing his commission. On the other, he was dominated by Souk's implacable will. He would be at the Suez first, and there he would await Antifer's arrival with impatience. The steersman ran down along the French coast, sheltered by it from the southerly winds. Tregermain could but congratulate himself. He had resolved to make the best of the voyage by studying the manners and customs of the different countries he would be obliged to visit. But as it was the first time in his life that he had been on the sea, he was afraid of being sick, and it was with a curious and anxious eye that he had gazed at the horizon where the sea met the sky. He did not try to play at being a sailor, the worthy man, nor at braving the movements of the vessel by walking about the deck. In fact, his feet, accustomed to the level deck of his barge, seemed to fail him and he sat in the stern on a bench, grasping one of the stanchions, and submitting with resignation to the pitiless pleasantries of Captain Antifer. Well, bargeman, how are you? Up to the present, I've had nothing much the matter with me. Ah, this is only fresh water sailing as yet. We are coasting the land, and you might suppose we are on a barge on the rance. But we shall get a northerly wind soon, and then the sea will shake its fleas, and give you no time to scratch for yours. Friend, I have no fleas. It is a way of speaking. Wait till we get out of the channel. You think I shall be sick? Badly, I'm sure you will. Antifer's way of consoling his friends was peculiar. Jewel tried to remove the depressing effect of his prognostics by observing, My uncle exaggerates. You will be no more sick than... than a porpoise? That is all I wish, replied the bargeman, pointing to two or three of those clowns of the sea tumbling in the vessel's wake. In the evening, the steamer rounded the furthest points of Brittany. As she was in the Straits of Four, under shelter of the heights of Usan, the sea was not rough, although there was a headwind. The passengers went to bed between eight and nine o'clock, leaving the vessel to pass Cape St. Matthew, the Gulf of Brest, Duarnanez Bay, the Race of the Seine, and head southwestwards across the Erois. The bargeman dreamed that he was sick unto death, but fortunately it was only a dream. When the morning came, although the ship was rolling from side to side, diving into the hollows of the waves and rising on their crest to dive again, he did not hesitate to go on deck. If destiny intended to close his career as a mariner by a sea voyage, the least he could do was to fix the various events in his memory. Behold him appearing on the deck. What does he see, extended on the grating, pale as death, 
and rolling from side to side like an empty barrel. Antifer himself, as much upset as any gentle lady crossing from Folkestone to Boulogne. And what a string of oaths, terrestrial and maritime! And how the captain swore high and low when he beheld the tranquil, fresh-colored face of his companion, betraying not the least sign of discomfort. A thousand thunders, he exclaimed. Would you believe it? Here am I, a coasting captain, yet not having set foot on a boat for ten years, much more sick than a bargeman. But I am not sick at all, said Tregamine, favoring him with one of his sweetest smiles. You are not? And why are you not? I am surprised at it. But the Rance is not like the Eros. Not at all. And you do not seem to be in the least upset. I am sorry for it, if it annoys you, said Tregamine. But this illness of Captain Antifer did not last long. Before the steersman had sighted Camp Ortegal at the northwest corner of Spain, while she was still in the Gulf of Gascony, so terribly lashed by the Atlantic surges, Antifer had regained both his sea legs and his sailor's stomach. What had happened to him happened to many others, even to the most experienced sailors, when they have been away from the sea for a time. His mortification was nonetheless extreme, and his self-conceit considerably cooled at finding that this mere freshwater sailor had remained unaffected while he had been almost turned inside out. It was a rough night during which the searsman passed off for all, and Captain Chip would have lain too, had not Antifer persuaded him to drive ahead. Long delays would cause anxiety as to the catching of the mail boat at Suez, which only starts once a month for the Persian Gulf. The equinox was near, and there was always a chance of bad weather, so it was better to drive on as long as there was no obvious danger in continuing the voyage. The steersman gave a wide berth to the reefs along the coast of Spain. Vigo Bay and the three sugar loaves at its entrance were left on the port hand, as was also the coast of Portugal. The day afterwards, the Berlings were left to starboard, those islands formed by Providence, for the sight of the lighthouses which marked the proximity of the continent for ships coming from seaward. You may easily imagine that during these long hours our friends were talking about the extraordinary voyage and its certain results. Antifer had recovered completely. With his legs wide apart, he looked defiantly at the horizon, striding about the deck, and watching the cheery face of the bargeman for some symptoms of the sickness which obstinately refused to appear. What do you think of the ocean? There's a good deal of water in it. Yes, rather more than in the rants. Undoubtedly, but we need not scoff at a river which has its charm. I do not scoff at it. I despise it, bargeman. Uncle, said Jewel, you should not despise anyone. A river may have its value. As well as an island, added Tregamine and at the word Antifer raised his ear, for he was hit in a sensitive place. Certainly, he said, there are islands worth putting in the first class. Mine, for example. The pronoun showed what had been working in the Briton's mind. This island in the Gulf of Oman belonged to him by inheritance. With regard to this island, Jewel, are you verifying your chronometer every day? Certainly, and I have seldom seen a more perfect instrument. And your sextant? It is as good as the chronometer. Thank goodness. They cost enough. They're going to bring us four millions, judiciously insinuated Tregomain. We can hardly look at their price. Quite so, Mr. Bargeman. But if Captain Antifer and his two companions had reason to place implicit confidence in their instruments, they mistrusted, and very justly mistrusted, Ben Omar. 
They were often talking about this, and one day the uncle said to his nephew, I do not like the looks of this Ben Omar at all, and I shall keep a very close watch on him. Who knows if we shall meet him at the Suez, asked the bargeman in a dubious tone. Oh, said Antifer, he will wait for us for weeks, if need be. Did not the scoundrel come to St. Malo solely to steal my latitude? I think, uncle, said Jewel, that you will not be far wrong in keeping an eye on these Egyptians. I don't think much of the notary, and I think still less of his clerk. I agree with you, Jewel, added the bargeman. This Nazim is no more like a clerk than I am. It is a pity he does not speak French, said Antifer. We might pump him. Pump him, said Jewel. If you had not got much out of the master, you're not likely to get much out of the clerk. I fancy you had better give a thought to the Souk. What Souk? The son of Murad, the cousin of Kamalik Pasha, the man who was disinherited in favor of you. I will know how to deal with him when I come across him. Was not the will in proper form? What can he do then, this descendant of Pasha's, whose tails I may have to cut? However, uncle, I care not for him more than I do for Ben Omar, and if this manufacturer of contracts does not walk straight. Take care, my friend, said Trigamine. You cannot get rid of the notary. It is his right and his duty to accompany you, to follow you to the island. My island? Yes, your island. The will expressly says so, and he has a commission of one percent. That is forty thousand pounds. Forty thousand kicks, said Antifer, whose irascibility was increasing at the thought of the enormous amount to which Ben Omar was entitled. During the night, the steersman sighted the lights of Cadiz and passed the Bay of Trafalgar, and during the morning she entered the Straits of Gibraltar. It was delightful traveling, and the passengers could not be insensible to its inexpressible charm when the ship that carried them passed in sight of the African coast. Nothing could be more picturesque, nothing more varied than this panorama, with its mountains in the background, the many indentations of the coast, the seaside towns rising unexpectedly from around the lofty cliffs in their frame of verdure. Did the bargeman appreciate these natural beauties, as he should have done? And did he compare them with those in the dearly beloved rants between Denard and Denon? What did he think he saw in Oran? dominated by the cone with the fort clinging to it. Algiers, terraced on its casbah. Stora, lost amid the mighty rocks. Bougie, Philippeville, bone, half-modern, half-antique, hiding in the end of its bay. In a word, what was in the mind of Tregomain in the presence of the superb coast unrolling before his eyes? The weather continued favorably. A squall occasionally, and then a calm leaving a wide horizon clear. Under such conditions, Penteliara showed its slender summit. An old volcano, now asleep, which will some day awake. The bed of the sea, hereabouts from Cape Bond to the Greek archipelago, is all volcanic. Islands appeared, such as Santorin and others, which may one day form a new archipelago. Jewel had therefore some justification for saying to his uncle, it is fortunate that Kamalik Pasha did not choose an island in these parts to bury his fortune in. It is fortunate, very fortunate, said Antifer, and his face grew quite pale at the thought that this islet might have emerged from a sea incessantly troubled by subterranean forces. Fortunately, the Gulf of Oman is guaranteed against eventualities of this sort. Such commotions were unknown to it. Whatever the island might be, it would be found in its place. Passing Gozo and Malta, the steersman headed straight for the Egyptian coast. Captain Chip made the land at Alexandria, 
and coasting along the network of mouths of the Nile, spreading out like a fan between Rosetta and Damietta. He was signaled off Port Said in the morning of the 7th of March. The Suez Canal was then under construction. It was not opened until 1869. The steamer had consequently to stop at Port Said. Antifer and his companions left Captain Chip with many expressions of gratitude for the way in which they had been treated on board, and next day started by train to Suez. It was a pity that the canal was not finished, as a trip along it would have much interested Jewel, and Tregomain might have fancied himself between the banks of the Rance. Although the aspect of the Bitter Lakes and Ismalia is not as western as Dinan, and certainly more oriental than that of Dinard. Would Antifer have taken much notice of these marvels? No, neither of those due to nature, nor those due to the genius of man. For him there existed in the whole world but one point, the island in the Gulf of Oman, his island, which like a bright metal button hypnotized his whole being. And he would have taken as little notice of Suez, a town occupying so important a position in geographical nomenclature, had he not seen as he came out of the railway station a group of two men, one of whom greeted him with excessive salutes, while the other departed not from his oriental gravity. They were Ben Omar and Nazim. End of chapter 10